This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Friday, September 10th. I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, Telluride Medical Center strained following COVID outbreak. A day in the life of a minor with Fenton Cole. The tandem journeys of Susan Keys and a mountain weather forecast. There are three main metrics public health looks at in its coronavirus response. Incident rate, positivity rate, and hospital capacity. As the Delta variant spreads, schools and businesses head back in person, and the economy continues to reopen, that hospital capacity is once again becoming strained. KOTO Scott Franz notes state health officials say hospitals are starting to show worrying signs of stress as the number of COVID patients continue to grow. The number of cases is now at its second highest level since the pandemic began. Incident Commander Scott Bookman says some facilities are once again canceling routine surgeries and dusting off their surge plans. He pleaded with Coloradans to get vaccinated. The burden of the unvaccinated on our hospitals is profound and it impacts all Coloradans because those who are vaccinated will struggle to get the same level of care in the hospital that they would get if there were fewer COVID hospitalizations. As of Friday, there were less than 200 ICU beds available in the state. Governor Jared Polis signaled he is not going to initiate any new mask mandates or restrictions at this time because hospitals still have room. Locally, the Telluride Regional Medical Center saw its own stress as seven staff members tested positive for COVID over a six-day period. I mean, it, it has been a huge impact. We don't have a huge staff at the medical center. We do not have a lot of redundant staff in a number of our departments. That's Dr. Deanna Colliker, Director of Emergency and Trauma Services at the Telluride Medical Center. She says the series of positive tests started last week when an employee with minor symptoms tested positive. Then two asymptomatic staff members tested positive as well. That totally got our attention. The medical center ended up testing the entirety of staff and four more members tested positive for COVID-19. All the staff were fully vaccinated and practiced safety measures to mitigate the virus. Dr. Colliker adds there is not a clear connection between the cases. We have not been able to find a connection between all seven cases insofar as these two people work together on this day. Like, there aren't any connections with any individuals other than They all work for the Telluride Medical Center. But she recognizes with seven staff testing positive, the med center had to acknowledge spread could be taking place at the facility. So they implemented even more strict mitigation measures. We reached out to the state epidemiology team. We reached out to our local public health. Um, We tested all of our staff and... um, We instituted um, more restrictive mask um, mandates within our facility. That means upgrading from surgical masks to KN95 masks. She says now they're just waiting. There have been no new positive cases in the last three days. Colliker adds, despite the staff testing positive, the med center has been able to keep care open. We have still been able to see patients in primary care, see patients in our depot clinic and our respiratory clinic. The emergency department is still open 24-7 for emergencies. So we're still able to deliver the care 
that people are used to. But there have been shifts for patients. We, you know, transitioned very quickly to identify patients who could have a visit in our primary care clinic via televisit. And while the med center managed through yet another stressful moment, Dr. Colliker notes it's disheartening. For all of us to be vaccinated and all of us to be doing the right things and you still get it, like, that's not fair. And she urges the community to go back to COVID basics. The Delta variant has changed the rules yet again. And so you kind of have to go back to that careful behavior, even if you are fully vaccinated, of, you know, trying to have, you know, gatherings outdoors and trying to limit the number of people you are seeing um, in in a social setting and wearing masks while you are indoors. Um, and I know that's hard to do when we've been doing this for so long, but we're, we're not out of the woods yet. We've We've got to tighten everything back down a little bit. San Miguel County Public Health is hosting a COVID vaccine clinic on Friday, September 17th. Vaccines are also available by appointment at the Telluride Medical Center and the Uncompagre Medical Center. COVID testing is available by appointment Monday through Friday at the Uncompagre Medical Center in Norwood. Testing options are available in Telluride, Lawson Hill, and Mountain Village Tuesday through Friday. Registration is available at sanmiguelcountyco.gov slash coronavirus. You can't touch this. You can't touch this. You can't touch this. Fintan Cole is back. This year, he'll be reporting on sports and the happenings around the Telluride High School. In the first installment of A Day in the Life of a Minor with Fintan Cole, KOTO News catches up with him about the summer and what's in store this year. Look at my eyes, man. You can't touch this. You are back in school for a new school year. How does it feel to be to be back after the summer? It feels kind of great. I, I kind of didn't expect the school year to start start like so early because summer because summer felt so short. Did you do anything fun or exciting over the summer? Well I went to Frontier Ranch where I stayed in a cabin. I played some games and it was totally fun. Also as a plug, you were a DJ on Kodo this summer. What was that like? That was awesome, like being able to play some songs. Like the one in alphabetical order was amazing for most people. That was a really cool one. I really loved that one. So you are back. You're going to be coming back to Kodo with your sports roundups, with your updates on all the things that are going on at the school. What are you looking forward to talking about this year? I'm looking forward to talking about sports interviews, and I'm also looking forward to looking up any sports on max preps. Is there a specific sport that you're really excited about either watching or playing this year? I'm really excited about watching Ohio State football. They just beat the Minnesota Golden Gophers, which is Wisconsin's rival. So that's good for Wisconsin, but it was bad for Wisconsin that they fell short on an insane game against Penn State, and I really thought they were going to win. So I'm really excited about both Wisconsin and Ohio State and seeing how they're going to do. And I'm really excited about playing lacrosse this year for the high school. 
as I'm going to be playing on the attack position again this year. So if you ever see like number 19, you'll know it's me. Perfect. We'll definitely look out for that. Fintan, we're so excited to have you back on the news this school year. And we can't wait to see what you have to say. Hey, thanks. Life is a journey like no other, and our most impactful changes often come from traveling to the highest heights and the lowest lows. KOTO's Matt Hoish has more on one Telluride local's reflections on her own journeys. Susan Keyes says the river trip was her husband Bill's idea. I wasn't planning to go. I had a full-time psychotherapy practice at the time, and I thought I'd just come visit and, you know, drop in and out. But I decided to stop, stop working and to join my husband, and it was a beautiful experience. They took the six-month river raft journey from Wyoming to the Sea of Cortez in 2002. Keyes describes it as the trip of a lifetime. Now, almost 20 years later, she's written about it in her new book, Tandem Rowing, which came out of writing she did on the journey. Both my husband and I kept journals on the trip, and every now and then we would read what each other had written. And he said to me more than once, I don't think we're on the same trip. (laughs) The book is Key's second. She's also the author of The Telluride Hiking Guide and has lived in the area for 50 years with Bill, who also has his own list of Telluride accomplishments, including co-founding Mountain Film and establishing climbing routes on the Ophir Wall. Initially, Keyes wanted the book to be about how to stay together as a couple, but... I didn't want to be didactic, so uh, I, I canned that idea. But uh, it is kind of a miracle that after the six months on a raft all by ourselves, uh, that we were still together and still are now. Perseverance in general, she says, was one of the key lessons of the experience. Even though this was not the trip of my dreams, it was not the trip that it was not a trip I even wanted to do in the first place. Uh, but I learned that I know how to finish things. I know how to stay. Now, Keys is in the midst of another journey. Several years ago, Bill was diagnosed with brain cancer. For the last five years, she says, he's been dying. We get prognoses that he has two months to live, and uh, he has outlived every prognosis. So uh, he still loves life. Keyes has become a full-time caretaker for him. She says it's been the most challenging part of their time together for her. Because he's, his mental state is so delicate half of the time. He doesn't remember anything. He asked me the same question a hundred times. And um, I'm like, I've always been really good with kids. And I thought this would be okay, knowing he had brain cancer and would decline. I thought, no problem, I can handle it. But in this recent year, it's been a lot more challenging for me. But she also says Bill's illness was one of the reasons she decided to finish the book which she'd kept on the back burner for years. As he's dying, I wanted him to see what I had written. Bill's read the book, and she says he loved it. He can't remember anything, and even he can't even remember that he read it. But uh, as he read it, he was re-experiencing some of it and just enjoying what I experienced. Hey, Bill. 
Toward the end of our interview, Susan asks if I want to talk to Bill. And I say yes. He joins us outside. It's a bluebird morning. He brings along his breakfast, and I ask if he has anything he wants to share about the book. You know, I really don't. I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Yeah. <laughs> That's okay. Sorry. It's a, no, oh, yeah. it's a long time ago. It sounds like yeah. it was a wonderful trip, though. It was. A it was. Trip. It's a yeah. trip of a lifetime. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And with that, I take off, leaving Susan and Bill Keys together on their porch as the sun slowly makes its way across the sky from east to west. The Judd Weeby Trail will be temporarily closed next week for construction related to the replacement bridge. The trail will be closed at the summit of the west side, at the bench, and the intersection of the Weeby and Liberty Bell on the east. The trail will be closed on Monday, September 13th from 8 a.m. to approximately 12 p.m. What happens if someone dies in the home? Why do you need a medical durable power of attorney? What is the medical aid in dying in Colorado? Those are the types of questions Donna Fernald gets at work. People had no understanding about how to be prepared for a death of a loved one. Fernald is a home health and hospice nurse in the region. So she got to work creating a space for people to learn and talk about the process of death and dying. The only inevitable thing about life is that you're going to die. Everything else is a total crapshoot. So... Let's just talk about it, and let's be prepared. Next week, Fernald is putting together the second event on the practical preparations for dying. The event will be a panel discussion with Time for Questions, featuring a number of representatives discussing palliative care, hospice, powers of attorney and wills, end-of-life actions and DNRs, and burial practices in San Miguel County. And Fernald notes the discussion is for everyone. It's information that not just old people need, Everybody needs this because you don't know when that crazy diagnosis is going to come that may say you're going to die, and you don't know when that car is going to smack into you. And if you are not prepared, then the outcome can be really bad. She says in the U.S., our society doesn't look at death in the same way as other parts of the world. People hide their emotions. They tuck them inside. They don't want to face it. When someone dies, they go through the mourning process, and then it's tucked away in an envelope and stuck in a drawer. And I think in America, that's the toughest part. She wants to open up the conversations and talk about the reality of life and death. If you open the conversation up, you will find that people are really curious, but you have to give them a safe place to listen and to even start the conversation. And I think that something like this offers that. Through the event and moving forward, Fernald wants people to gain agency in how they want their death to look. I want them to say, you know, here's what I want if I die. I don't want to be kept alive. I don't want to be left on the tube. Or yes, please keep me alive and please do everything you can to save me. Um, I want that discussion to be open amongst families. I want people to pick who they want to make those decisions for them. And I want them to open up the discussion to friends and just get people on the same page and talking. 
that's what I hope comes out of it the most. The practical preparations for dyeing will take place at the Wilkinson Public Library on Monday, September 13th at 6 p.m. The town of Mountain Village is taking legal action against property owners in the town due to a land dispute. Mountain Village filed a lawsuit against Brown Dog Properties, owned by Frank and Ruth Henson. At the center of the dispute is the Meadows Trail in Mountain Village. A portion of the trail crosses the Henson's property. They would like to move a section of the trail in order to develop the property. The town claims it has an easement for the trail, and as such, it shouldn't move. The Hensons don't believe the town has a valid easement. Over the Labor Day weekend, Mountain Village Town Council met for a special meeting to discuss the matter. During public comment, Frank Henson shared his view for the trail. We've always wanted the trail to remain open for the public to enjoy. We've, we have a plan that best addresses the needs to keep the trail open while constructing the new portion of the trail. And this is only feasible, this is the only feasible plan, plan to allow driveway access to the lot while the trail remains open and the public use is uninterrupted. The remaining public comment was in support of the town. Here are Mountain Village residents Casey Rosen and Spencer Keating. My guess is if the town did an inventory of the number of lots that are crossed by various trails, uh, there's going to be maybe hundreds, at least 50. And I think if you have to go through a process of negotiating with everybody who decides that they want to move a trail or isn't satisfied where uh, a trail is on their lot, it, it's going to create a disaster. So you can't, you can't really lose this. I'm a super avid user of the Meadows Trail. I think that there would be a severe reduction in the quality of the trail um, if it were forced to go onto the road. Um, and I just wanted to express support for keeping the trail as it is right now. Following an executive session, town council directed staff to file legal action in San Miguel County Court to determine if the town has easement rights. Earlier this month, Mountain Village closed a portion of the trail as a result of the dispute. The town also asked the court to prohibit the Hensons from blocking or interfering with the trail. On Friday, the Hensons agreed, and the Meadows Trail is now reopen. If you give a moose a muffin, he might just move into your neighborhood. That's what Colorado Parks and Wildlife is trying to avoid. This week, CPW relocated a young bull moose to the San Juan National Forest after it spent several days in Durango, eventually wandering into a downtown neighborhood. According to CPW, it received several reports of a moose in the area, and on Wednesday morning, a woman reported the moose was in her backyard, in a downtown residential neighborhood. CPW officials note it's not uncommon for young bulls to wander from their natural habitat this time of year, looking for mates or their own territory. However, typically, if they end up in a town, they'll move along quickly on their own. In this case, the bull stayed in the area, forcing CPW officials to tranquilize the moose and move it safely to the San Juan National Forest, where there is a thriving moose population. CPW reminds individuals should keep aware when in wildlife habitat and you must keep your distance. At 84 years old, Japanese-American actor George Takei remains a powerful cultural figure. He's a prominent gay activist, famous for his witticisms on Twitter, and beloved for his role as Sulu from the television series Star Trek. 
In a new performance that recently debuted at the Moab Music Festival, Takei says he's been called a lot of things. Legend, icon, and enemy alien. Lost Freedom, a memory, chronicles Takei's early childhood spent in Japanese-American internment during World War II. As KZMU's Molly Marcello reports, this is the actor's latest project to prevent racist hysteria from threatening American democracy again. The sun is setting on a patch of desert in southeastern Utah. You can just make out the din of the state highway, carrying travelers back and forth from nearby Arches and Canyonlands National Parks. But here, just minutes from those popular destinations, is a simple dirt road, a little muddy after recent rains, a spot you would definitely miss if you weren't looking directly for it. Composer Kenji Bunch tunes his viola near some of the only remaining evidence that nearly 80 years ago, Japanese-American men were imprisoned at this site. A concrete slab and two cottonwood trees are some of what's left from the Moab Isolation Center. This is George Takei's first visit to the site. Throughout his life, he's made many pilgrimages to such places, unearthing their histories. There were 10 major Japanese-American confinement camps scattered throughout the West. Smaller isolation centers like this one in Moab imprisoned people who showed any sign of resistance to their own incarceration. The World War II years was filled with madness on the part of the United States government. Takei was five years old, his brother four, and his sister just a baby when the government removed them from their homes. After the bombing of Pearl Harbor, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt signed an executive order sending the Takeys and thousands of other Japanese-American families into imprisonment. Approximately 120,000 of us summarily rounded up with no charge, no trial, due process, the central pillar of our justice system simply disappeared. The top U.S. decision makers justified the incarceration of their own citizens with a racist stereotype. They called the Japanese inscrutable, impossible to understand. The absence of evidence was the evidence. We were subjected to the same kind of attitude toward Asian Americans that we are going through now with the pandemic. George will rightfully remind us that there's been anti-Asian sentiment since there have been Asians in this country. Violist Bunch composed the score to Lost Freedom, A Memory. He's speaking to me outside a popular Moab coffee shop, wearing a shirt that reads Asian AF. He's proud of his Japanese ancestry, but says harmful racist stereotypes are as present as ever. He calls anti-Asian harassment and violence during the pandemic a flare-up of a chronic condition. And so it's not a, a recent problem. It's just an ongoing transgenerational racial trauma. It's not lost on Bunch that just one generation ago, he would have been incarcerated. He pictures his own young children behind barbed wire, as Takei was at five years old. Imagining them with their innocence and their trust, you know, imagining them having to experience that, uh, it breaks my heart. In Lost Freedom, a memory, music and narrative weave together to center Takei's childhood perspective in the performance. This creates some bittersweet moments, like when young Takei is excited about sleeping in a horse stall. But much of it is simply heartbreaking. 
When his family is being moved to a higher security confinement camp, Takei's father tells his children they're all going on vacation by train. But I couldn't understand why so many of the grown-ups looked so sad. Some were crying. Lost Freedom is another legacy project for Takei. He's spoken all over the world about Japanese-American incarceration, written op-eds in major newspapers, starred in a musical, and has a graphic memoir for preteens about his experience. He says he's using all the tools I have as an artist to educate Americans today, as few Americans can, to tell that very personal story and share it so that we can have better Americans in the future. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, I'm Molly Marcello in Moab, Utah. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for patchy smoke tonight with mostly clear skies and a low around 50 degrees. Saturday could see isolated showers and thunderstorms with patchy smoke and sunny skies and a high in the mid-70s. Saturday night should be mostly clear with a low around 50 degrees. Sunday expect mostly sunny skies during the day and mostly clear skies at night with a high around 70 degrees and a low around 50. This has been the news for Friday, September 10th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 728-3206. We would like to thank everyone who donated to Kodo during our summer fund drive. A huge thank you to Claybrook Penn, Marla Meredith, Linda Razzo, Richard and Deborah Eidler, Mark Krasick, Oscar and Susan Mullen Davis, Lucas Price, Franz Rassman, Jolana Vanek, Pryor Nunn, Dave Hodges, Eliza Gavin, Karen Patterson, Richard Thorpe, Steve and Michelle Hoysh, Joan Kyle, Sarah Smickless, Clifford Pastor, Miles and Nicole Cook, Charlie Sierra Mataro, Duncan Scott Lancaster, Sarah and Paul Many Ponies, Barclay Durrani, Anna Wilson, Fletcher Otwell, Angie and Don Lundberg, Harley Brooke Hitching, Lori Warren, Chris Kwasniewski, Todd Creel, Donna Davis, Mohana, Elizabeth Stevenson, and Peter Harrelson. Thank you all so much.